The S&P 500 entered bear market territory formally this week, but the Nasdaq's been in it for quite some time. Tech companies have been leading on the way down, and some of the biggest pillars of the old bull market have been crumbling the fastest. Today, we're going to get a rate hike from the Fed, and that's been a big part of the problem in investing in growth stocks. Let's talk about it with Robert Cantwell, founder and portfolio manager of Upholdings Investment Management. Good morning, Robert. Thanks for being here this morning. Good morning. We're going to get a pretty uh, hard-line Fed, it seems, according to the market, 75 basis points. Jay Powell not messing around. Does that make your job difficult as a growth stock investor? Oh, we sure hope so. I mean, frankly, at this point, growth stock investors are looking for even more aggressive rate hikes than that. Uh, because the, the general consensus amongst long-term investors is do whatever you have to do to get inflation under control so that the market can start behaving rationally again. Because prioritizing today's cash flow over the cash flow that businesses are going to be generating years from now, that's turned investing upside down a little bit for investors right now. Okay, so uh, you're rooting for the Fed to uh, demonstrate some of that uh, extreme pushback to try and end the problem that's plaguing the economy, basically, so that uh, we can move on and try and uh, get some degree of uh, normalcy to return uh, to, to markets. That's the idea. Without getting too deep into the psychology of it, if inflation keeps negatively surprising us, the Fed, the numbers don't matter. 50 basis points, 75 basis points, it doesn't matter. The only tool you can use to fight negative su su surprises like that is negative surprises on the other side. So frankly, the Fed should go 100, the Fed should go 150, but that, it's not our jobs to pick that number. <laughs> uh, but we're certainly seeing the data and, and, and would be perfectly happy as investors to see a more aggressive take by the Fed because some of these growth multiples, they're not even growth multiples anymore. Meta was just added to the Russell 1000 value index. So now we get to talk about whether or not Meta is one of the best value stocks to own or not. And you've had this weird flip-flopping in the market where the multiples just haven't come down as hard on a lot of more traditional industries that are more cyclical. So on the growth side, we've been we've been much more aggressive. And you know, you previewed cloud software, we can get into it, but cloud software was an area that was so expensive for the last couple of years that we were hardly in it. And now we are backing up the truck and going in as much as we can. Wow. Uh, I want to talk meta real quick. Uh, last I saw that was your biggest holding. Is that still the case? Sure is. Okay. You can't beat a price like that. You know, one of the interesting things, so on the positive and the negative side. On the negative side, what we learned during this um, little bit of shakeout we've had over the past six months is that Meta is, in fact, more tightly correlated to just e-commerce than you would have expected, given how diverse their advertiser base is. So if you were to just to map uh, Amazon's North American retail sales against Meta's uh, advertising base, you basically see that Meta more or less operates as a 14% tax on all of e-commerce. Now, that's a really high margin tax. However, it means it's a little bit more volatile because e-commerce spending has always traditionally been pretty volatile. Interesting. Uh, with uh, Meta making this transition now, full new ticker and everything, they've talked about how the Metaverse is not going to be profitable at first. Uh, they're going to have to keep investing. Uh, Sheryl Sandberg out. Um, do you worry that this is a company that's kind of starting over and maybe doesn't have the growth trajectory? Does it deserve to kind of be down where it is if the the big winning mousetrap of the social media breakthrough is passed? They're all great questions. Um, you know, one, one of the things about Meta that we like as long-term shareholders is that they try projects. 
you know, they, they tried that Libra crypto project and, you know, after pouring money into it, they ditched it. And unlike other companies like MicroStrategy that went all in on crypto and are now potentially facing margin calls, the Meta Board of Directors has demonstrated a lot of responsibility in capital allocation. Mm. So if the business team, because they look at businesses like Roblox and they're, they see the amount of time that individuals are spending on Roblox and Meta has to look at that knowing how much time they aggregate and think, gosh, should we be building experiences here as well to be competitive there? given how much time is shifting. So we view that as a capital allocation strategy by the management team. It's expensive, but relative to the size of the company, you're talking about 2% of their market cap that they're looking to invest in this new area. So for us, we don't. it, it doesn't hold us back from being investors in the company. Uh, and as far as Sheryl Sandberg leaving, again, there's a pretty deep bench of executives. You know, The average tenure of a senior executive at, at Meta is more than 15 years. They almost always promote from within. They rarely have to bring in an outside executive. And those are very rare traits of very long-term compounding companies. Roblox, as you mentioned, uh, is another one you like uh, in your top 10 holdings uh, from the latest filing I see. Uh, is there any risk, Robert? Uh, how do you gauge the post-COVID activity for some of these deep, uh, uh, metaverse, uh, virtual uh, companies or businesses, games or services that people were uh, consuming during COVID. I mean, this stock's been punished because it looks like the growth rate's going to be near possible to keep up if kids have to go back to school, can't build Legos all day. Well, fortunately, kids are back in school. Uh, and I would categorize where we see, so uh, in the enterprise software world, a lot, of, a lot of the discussion was, gosh, COVID happened, that accelerated digital transformation, and now companies are adopting software into their workflows um, at a more rapid pace than they were before. And people are not now saying, oh, now the companies are unwinding this cloud software uh, integration that we've done. In fact, that stuff is quite sticky. And not all stocks, but for many stocks, Etsy and Roblox are two examples of companies that had a really big step up during the pandemic. It was a great opportunity for them to show off their services. And we're actually seeing them on a market share basis, hold on to their uh, relative attention and sales and commerce and transactions. That the, the Roblox, what's been, so, what's been so incredible, and you've been seeing this across a lot of internet companies, is engagement is actually even higher than it was during the pandemic. And when you see the top line revenue growth rates, what you're seeing there is there's been a little bit of pullback in the average spend per user, which could have a lot more to do with macroeconomic conditions that we're living through right now. But from a pure aggregation of attention and engagement, um, these platforms are still in fact growing. Uh, Robert, what kind of timeline do you think investors should expect for some of these companies that uh, did so well during that big equity run up? Many describe it as a bubble. It got more expensive than dot-com by many valuation metrics. Amazingly, uh, these derivatives of the Internet uh, were more expensive than the Internet uh, by many standards. And dot-com took 10 years to come back for even the most disruptive companies. If you bought Amazon on the way down, if you bought Microsoft, you had to wait a decade to break even. Could we be in a similar situation where you might have to wait that long to break even on a stock like Roblox? I think that's more a story for crypto than it is for these web assets because these web companies are generating real cash flow. They can buy back stock. They can acquire other businesses. We're much more excited and interested uh, about the potential M&A in the space. Mm. You've got Twitter being taken out. Um, you've, got a, a hand, you've got Activision being taken out. Uh, we actually think the, the more interesting thing over the next six months, and for those that are you know, looking to 
play more short-term opportunities is where are the next takeouts likely to happen? Is it a Pinterest? Is it a Snapchat? Is it one of these sub $50 billion companies that's having a rough go of it? Look at how successful Microsoft has been with LinkedIn. There's no question that uh, other companies are looking at that and thinking, do I bolt on one of these social media assets as a long-term cash flow generator uh, into the business that I'm running? So I don't think it's going to take as long. Um, also, we're in a moment where you have a lot of hedge funds that are closing. So you have a, you, that means there's a lot of uh, selling that is happening in the market for a number of growth securities that has nothing to do with the underlying performance of those actual businesses. And historically, that has represented pretty good buying opportunities in exactly those assets that the hedge funds are teaching. Okay. All right. Okay. So uh, strongly made here, Robert. Thanks uh, for walking us through your thesis. Appreciate it. For sure. All right, absolutely. Robert Cantwell is founder and portfolio manager at Upholdings Investment Management.